0: Today, we are jumping into the living room as we walk through each room of the house, and that's where many of the relationships happened. So what should we do with all the relationships in our lives?
1: Show them Jesus, share the good news with them, with actions and with words.
0: Welcome to Unshaken. I'm your host, Julie Van Warmer, and I am so excited that you're joining us today. Today is episode 184, and this is our monthly installment of our mom-to-mom ministry. This year, we have been walking through the home and visiting each of the rooms as we work towards creating a life-giving home. But before I introduce you to our topic of the day, let me just remind everyone who's listening that these episodes are not just for mothers or even for mothers of little ones. These are episodes that are great for anyone. There is a lot of application as we walk through each room of the home, and we are only halfway through the house. Today, our topic is the living room. Now, perhaps you are enjoying the holiday season with all your decorations. I usually put my Christmas tree in my living room. Maybe you do. And I find the living room to be a place of rest and relaxation most of the time when the laundry's off the couch. And, um... Usually, it's a place where we, my family and I gather, and maybe that's what happens for you. But what do we do when our living room and the people that we spend time with in our living room don't work like they should? What if we have conflict? What if it isn't as cozy and sweet as we want it to be? Well, today, Shelby Hauser is going to walk us through how we can deal with relationships in our homes, how we can honor God in them, and how we can pursue the old and new relationships that God has placed in our paths. Let's jump right in here today as we talk about the living room.
1: This morning, we continue our journey through the life-giving home. We started in the entryway, sampled our way through the kitchen, and now we've arrived in the living room. Close your eyes and picture this room. This may be the living room of your current home, a past home, the house you just bought, or maybe it's the living room of the home in which you were raised. What's it look like? What does it feel like? Is it pretty and formal or comfy and cozy? Who spends time in your living room? Is it filled with toys and books or used only for adults or special occasions? How is this room used to cultivate deeper relationships? You may open your eyes. Our theme verse for this year is, by wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 4. Our focus today is this. How do we wisely cultivate deeper relationships? What are the precious and pleasant riches that may fill the living rooms of our homes? Let's start by defining some words. I really love words, and I like to know that the words I'm communicating have the same meaning as what you're hearing. Cultivate. You may think of gardening. I'm not a gardener, so let's think of some other definitions for that. To improve by labor or study. To advance the growth of. To refine and improve by correction of faults. An enlargement of powers or good qualities. To cherish. To foster. To labor. To promote and increase. Deep. Entering far. Piercing in a great way. Penetrating. Acute in discernment having the power to enter far into a subject. And now we'll define relationship, the way in which two or more people or groups regard and behave toward each other. So today, we're talking about advancing the growth of how we behave toward the people God has placed in our lives so that we can connect with them further than we have to date. Alternatively, we could say, We want to refine and improve upon our own faults so that our own hearts toward others are pierced in a greater way. Now, We all engage to varying degrees in different types of relationships, parent-child, husband-wife, family-extended family, within the church, with unbelievers, with other moms across the generations, with our neighbors. We'll touch on some of these relationships today, but at a high level, relationships are the training ground where our mettle is tested, and where our beliefs are fleshed out. Before we talk about our relationships with other people, I do want to touch on the most important relationship. God Himself, our Creator, desires a relationship with us, and He extended His love through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus lived a perfect life and died to pay the price for our sins, you and I can have restored relationship for all eternity with God Almighty. If we submit our lives to Jesus as our Lord, this is the ultimate life-giving relationship. If this truth is new to you, I would love to talk with you more about it later. Our relationships are where we apply what we understand about who God is, how he acts, and how his power is at play within us. If his power is truly poured out on his people, then we should see the fruit of his spirit in the way that we interact with others. When we consider each of our relationships, we ought to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, like it says in Galatians 5.22. When we look at our relationships, those who belong to Christ Jesus should, quote, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, unquote, like verse 24 says in the same chapter. The truth of the matter is that relationships are hard— They're unwieldy. We can't quite get our arms fully around even the best relationships, the people we hold dearest. So how do we practically go about cultivating deeper relationships and in doing so bring life into our homes, families, and friendships? We'll start with extended family relationships, those relationships God sovereignly ordained for us to be in for life. These are affected by many factors— not limited to family size, distance, time zones, age differences, political and religious views, and family history. For example, I am a third of six kids with an 18-year gap from oldest to youngest. I was raised in a home where Christ was the foundation, and since becoming an adult, I've had the privilege of living with each of my siblings, which has wrought personal growth and relational depth. My family is currently spread across six states in four time zones, I see my family as often as possible, but it's been five years since I've been together with my whole family. I love having my whole family together, but it comes with a certain amount, like a lot, of chaos. My siblings and I have noticed that it's harder to connect on a deeper level when we're all together. There's more sarcasm, more jokes, more heated debates, less real conversation that reaches the heart. I personally prefer quality over quantity, so I work hard to dig deeper in small groups or one-on-one. For me, digging deeper may look like scheduling a phone call with one of my sisters or sisters-in-law, writing a card to a family member who needs encouragement, or planning a meeting in person. What might it look like for you to go deeper with your family members? Get creative. Be willing to sacrifice for the sake of discovering more about the people God has placed in your family. If you feel that family relationships and specifically sibling relationships are something you and your kids can grow in, I'd like to recommend this Bible study we did with our kids this summer. It's called My Brother's Keeper, a biblical study on loving your siblings. It's made for all different age levels you just buy according to the ages of the kids in your home, and it also comes with a parent guide. I was really surprised that the parent guide was written to not only help me navigate my discussions with my kids, but also to help me grow in my relationships with my own siblings. Mm -hmm. The tagline on the back gave me a new perspective on how I interact with my adult siblings. It says, it's time to step up to the plate and go into battle with your siblings instead of against them. This is one way that you could dig deeper in family relationships and teach your kids to do so as well. This leads me to the second way to cultivate deeper family relationships, confronting challenges. There are myriad reasons that family dynamics can be challenging. My family has history that is less than comedic. I've faced significant hurts that I thought may never heal, rifts that seemed unlikely to mend, heart-wrenching conversations about faith, moral values, politics, the pandemic. we Do not all agree on many things, and it saddens me that even though most of my family are believers in Jesus as Lord, my family has at times seemed to have little in common on big issues. Yet to me, this is no surprise. Satan has been attacking sibling relationships since the very first sibling set, Cain and Abel, and he hasn't laid off since. Genesis alone talks about family conflict at great length, so we should not be caught off guard when our families are off kilter. Instead, I think we need to recognize the battle for what it is, spiritual. we do well to focus on fighting together versus fighting each other. So what do we do, we, we desire deeper relationships with family, but are at odds on significant topics. How do we confront challenges in family relationships? First and foremost, we pray. Rather than talking about someone with another family member, I have found that the Lord cares deeply about my family and will gladly give me His perspective if I will ask Him. Only when we have His perspective can we best show our family Jesus' love with our own words and actions. For example, I pray for unbelievers in my family that they would see their need for repentance and would love the One who created and redeemed them. I pray for unity and Christ between my siblings and with our parents. I pray that we'll practice honoring one another and our parents with our words and actions. Psalm 50 verses 19 to 21 warns, You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother, you slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. This is a sobering statement. I also pray for wisdom to know if I ought to speak up or be a bridge between family members. This leads me to the second part of confronting challenges actually confronting family. Only after a lot of prayer should we consider confronting a family member. We may feel that this is necessary because we sense a rift or behavior that is less than loving or even sinful. If the Holy Spirit leads you in this way, I'd encourage you to two steps. First, meet, to talk in person or on FaceTime, but not in text, email, or on the phone. This may mean waiting to have a big conversation, or perhaps sacrificing time or money to make it happen. We want to engage as many forms of verbal and nonverbal communication as possible so that the heart of the message is delivered. I'll be honest. I am most articulate when I write out my thoughts, but I communicate with more gentleness and awareness of the other person when I talk with them rather than send off a letter or an email or maybe even a text. So when confronting a family member, meet in person for a better response. Second, ask lots of questions so that the Holy Spirit can do the hard work. We should be prepared with thoughtful but not leading questions about the topic at hand and also be responsive to how the Holy Spirit prompts and guides us in the difficult conversation. It is not our place to convict or condemn, but to point one another to the gospel. The Holy Spirit alone can bring change. So, how do you deal with confrontation in your family? Do you run for the hills and avoid the problem? Do you meet the conflict head-on, but maybe see your family as the enemy? Do you prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to use you in your family. Confronting challenges is difficult to say the least, but occasionally it's necessary in order to cultivate deeper relationships and to encourage growth in our families. Romans 12 verses nine through 10 is a favorite verse and song. I like to sing with my kids. They hate it when I sing though. So I'll avoid (laughs) that right now. I think this has direct application for us as adults too. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. May this be our goal in our family relationships. We're going to shift gears now to talk about cultivating deeper relationships with mom friends. My husband is active duty in the Air Force, so one might say that packing and unpacking boxes has become our hobby. In 10 years of marriage, we've essentially moved states seven times. Years ago, a seasoned military wife told me that I really just need one close friend at each new duty station. So that has been her prayer for me for each move. And it's also become my prayer for other friends who move a lot because I see the truth in what she said. Can we have a whole passel of friends and thrive? Absolutely. But at a minimum, we need one friend who knows and sees us. And that can be enough. Now, for those of you who don't move often or maybe have always lived in the same area, maybe you can't relate to that example. But I bet you have had relationships ebb and flow over the years. Maybe you've grieved the loss of a sweet friendship or are even feeling distance in a mom friendship at this very moment. I feel you, sister. I've been there. I am there. We need one another, and it's why we're here today, isn't it? We need mom friends, friends in a similar stage of life or maybe a little ahead or a little behind, women with whom we can relate. God's word says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. That's found in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 6. When we are lonely, God uses another woman to show us friendship. When we're discouraged, God encourages us through a friend. When we are uncertain, God gives wisdom through someone who's been in our shoes. When we're depressed, God gives a friend to lift our spirits, to laugh, to remember his goodness. When we're self-centered, God often gives a friend who is struggling, too, so that we can pour into someone else and give comfort in the way that he has comforted us. And when we want to celebrate, God-given friendships are perfect for praising the God who blessed us so immensely. So we're going to start digging a little deeper into mom friendships, but just a light dig, scratching the surface. Social media is one medium that we often try to use to connect with mom friends especially when we're feeling isolated for one reason or another. This week for me, it was because my kids were sick. I was using social media more than usual. It has value, but I'd like to suggest that the value it offers does not correlate to deeper relationships. I want to challenge us to real connection versus virtual connection. What are some ways that we can contend for real connection with mom friends that is vulnerable and deepens over time? I think we should minimize our presence on social media. Don't engage there if you haven't recently engaged in person. For example, while scrolling Facebook, you may notice it's a friend's birthday. Maybe you text or call to wish that person a happy birthday rather than hopping on the Facebook birthday bandwagon. Did a friend randomly come to mind? Call her. Perhaps you go straight to voicemail, but leave one and let her know that God brought her to mind and you are praying for her. If you can't call her, stop and pray for her and ask the Holy Spirit to guide your prayers. Make a concerted effort to connect with friends near or far. If in-person isn't feasible, schedule a phone date. And if a phone date is impossible because of nap schedules or whatever else, get an app. Uh, Yes, I'm recommending some social media here. Get an app like Marco Polo where you can leave video memos to be watched when the time is right for that person. This has been a way that I've deepened friendships with a few friends across time zones, life changes, and many years. It's almost like being with those friends, and it makes it feel like we can pick right up when we finally get together in person. Let's dig a little deeper than social media, shall we? Everywhere I've lived, God has faithfully provided me with friends who love Him and who do all of those things that I shared earlier. He doesn't give them instantaneously, though. There's usually a period of time that I'm hoping and praying both I and my kids will make friends. It takes work to meet people and even more energy to cultivate meaningful friendships. I want to encourage us today to dig a little deeper with our mom friends when we meet up for play dates or dinners or whatever else. It's easy and helpful to talk about potty training or meal planning, but they don't need to take up the bulk of our time together. We may walk away with good ideas But have we shared or learned something that is life-giving? How might we purpose to do that? What if we took a few moments before a play date to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind specific topics we should bring up with the friend we will see? What if we ask the Holy Spirit to show us how that friend may need to be encouraged in her life journey? What if we intentionally bring up thought-provoking topics so as to wrestle together through what God's Word says about them? I know it can seem fruitless to bring up topics when you know your kids are going to interrupt a million times, but when I have approached playdates more thoughtfully, I've found that the conversations have been much more rewarding and even edifying. These are some ideas for trying a little harder, digging a little deeper with any friend. I've heard it said that a person can really only cultivate and maintain deep relationships with one to five close friends. Quote, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, unquote. That's from Proverbs eighteen twenty four. If you feel like you're lacking a friend like this right now, I encourage you to try an idea I heard on the Don't Mom Alone podcast last week. Pick a couple of friends with whom you want to dig deeper and make a plan to connect with them weekly for a whole year. Sure, you'll miss a few weeks but you will likely cultivate a much deeper relationship than you had at the start. Now it's time to drill even deeper. John 13, 35 says, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Our love for one another isn't most evident in the easy times, but the rubber meets the road when our relationships enter conflict. Christians should show a marked difference in how we approach conflict with others— and in how we balance boundaries with grace. Where we are different, we may become competitive or pushy, or we may have a tendency to withdraw or become more superficial in our conversations. Let's consider how we can fight these natural urges as we confront challenges with believers, and later we'll touch on how to confront challenges with unbelievers and those actively living a lifestyle contrary to God's word. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen proclaims, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Contrary to what we might expect, our close friends don't have to be exactly like us. In fact, I've found that the women who have become my closest friends, the ones who challenge me the most and go the deepest, are the ones that don't have as much in common with me at the outset. We may have different interests, different perspectives, and even different doctrine, but what we have in common is what binds us together. In relationships with other believers, our strongest commonality is this. We both love Jesus as our Savior, and we know we will be together for all eternity. Even so, how can these relationships with stark differences become healthy and mature, and even our closest friendships? I'd suggest four ways. One, ask questions. How am I to learn about a friend if I'm not willing to learn what's on her mind and heart? When we are respectful about differences and actively listen without condemnation, we encourage one another to become the woman God created us to be, and we may just learn something about God that we didn't know before. Number two, essentially, leaning into our differences should drive us to search scripture to really understand what God's word says and why we believe what we believe. Our enemy, the devil, wants these differences to drive us apart but we can fight back by moving toward our Lord through his word. Number three, pray for wisdom and unity. It helps to remember who your real enemy is. People are not your enemy, and your differences shouldn't lead you to struggle against them. Quote, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Unquote. Ephesians 6.12. As God gives you his perspective in prayer, purpose to encourage your friend by pointing out God's active work in her life. What grace is he giving to her for the situations she's encountering? What growth do you see in her? Point out those things so that you can build up your sister rather than becoming laser focused on how you're different from one another. Ask God to make you like-minded. And fourth, Grow in your love for a God who has called you both into his family and is big enough to love you both. Look carefully at how God is revealing himself and what he's doing in each of you. Perhaps the differences are given so that we can marvel at how great a God we serve. He builds his kingdom with people of all varieties and from sharply different backgrounds. A discussion about life giving relationships may not naturally make you think about your neighbors but I'd contend that it should. God sovereignly chose the families that we were born into, and I think he plays an active role in determining who will live in close proximity to us. Why might you do that? In Mark 12, 31, Jesus himself declared that one of the two greatest commandments is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For me, it can be so easy to go about my daily routines, but not really go out of my way to engage my neighbors on a deeper level. How can we love our neighbors in the way Jesus meant? How do we dig deeper in life-giving relationships with our neighbors? First, pray. God planted you there. Pray and ask him for opportunities to plant seeds and to shine Jesus' love on the people around you. Maybe you've been in the neighborhood a while and you haven't done much to engage with your neighbors. Start praying for eyes to see your neighbors from God's perspective. As an example, in one of our past neighborhoods, I was feeling pretty frustrated that we still didn't know any of our neighbors. The Holy Spirit prompted me to pick up trash on my walk to the playground that day. As I did so, I was overwhelmed by all the beer and liquor bottles that littered the ground. God showed me that apparently addictions were an issue in our neighborhood, and so I began to pray more specifically for those families around us. Eventually, a few relationships took root. Next, break in. No, I don't mean literally. Whether you're new or old, look for creative ways to break in to relationship with the neighbors. You might bring a loaf of sourdough, some break-and-baked cookies, or extra squash from your garden. Have your kids draw a picture. Any thoughtful gesture will warm hearts. Or try the opposite. Ask to borrow something. I'm one of those people who is always missing one key ingredient for something I'm making. I've asked for an egg and a tablespoon of miso and my neighbors have asked for vanilla or to print a school paper. I have found that the more willing I am to humble myself and ask for something, the more likely those same neighbors will also ask me and those are opportunities for more conversations and for our relationship to deepen. You could also take it a step further. Plan something more to cultivate deeper relationship with your neighbors. You might think of a game night or a progressive dinner. You could invite a woman to a Bible study you're hosting. Perhaps you like to walk or run. Find a neighbor who you could do that with on a regular basis. You could also plan a seasonal gathering for everybody in the neighborhood or maybe women only. Think campfires in the summer or Friendsgiving in November. Perhaps cocoa and Caroline in December. If you have small kids... You could even go watch sports events of the neighbor kids. It's a great way to introduce your kids to a variety of sports and the parents and kids that you're supporting feel so loved. Like in any relationship, issues can arise with our neighbors. We may find their landscaping or yard decor distasteful or be frustrated by the smells or sounds that may waft into our yard. We may become privy to tensions between neighbors or ongoing feuds. As believers, whatever our differences with our neighbors, we are commanded to love them well. This means choosing to be unoffendable, to be respectful regardless of the situation. Like Hebrews 12:14 says, To make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The world says that the best thing we can do is to cut out, cut off, and cancel the toxic people in our lives. Toxic people are those who bring you down, who are more challenging than you would prefer, and who suck the wind out of your sails. Melina talked about this in her talk last year. As she said then, Jesus never told us to cancel the difficult people. So what can we do when someone close to us, a neighbor, a friend, or a family member, Is choosing a lifestyle or action that is opposed to what we believe God says in His Word. I bet by now you know our first step. We need to start with prayer. Quote, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, unquote. That's Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Bottom line, Our natural thoughts are not like God's. Where we are selfish, He is selfless. Where we are foolish, He is wisdom. Where we think we know the right way, He is the way, the truth, and the life. We need God's perspective. When we pray, we recognize that we are finite and He is infinite, and we actively choose to trust God to guide and protect our families. We should pray for discernment to engage productively with the person and for wisdom to know how to guide our kids in conversations about it. Second, how we talk about people and their choices matters. We need to be mindful that we are all made in God's image and all in need of His grace. As parents, we have the responsibility of guiding our kids and to make sense of the world by pointing them to the truth found in God's word. We should aim to do this without vilifying anybody, but honoring people with our words while helping our kids to understand what God defines as sin. Third, set boundaries. Depending on the relationship and the nature of the sin, God may lead us to place boundaries for a time. This is something to discuss and pray about with your spouse. Every case is different, but there are some general principles for setting boundaries because of sinful lifestyles of unbelievers, and these can be considered for any relationship, not just neighbors. Consider a few questions. Who is at risk or vulnerable? What are you protecting them from? How are you going to protect them? And finally, is your response loving? I read an excerpt from the Gospel Coalition recently that said, A key piece of determining where to set God-honoring boundaries is to remember that we are ultimately called to serve and glorify God, not people. For me, it's been very helpful at times to ask my husband what boundaries he feels are healthy within a relationship. For example, at times it may be helpful to limit the length of visits with certain family members or the topics that may be discussed between parties. A counselor once gave us the sage advice that not all boundaries need to be vocalized to the other party. My husband and I may discuss boundaries privately and implement them quietly. Then when circumstances change or relationships warm again, we can privately flex that boundary without holding a formal meeting with the other party. This advice has been so helpful for us and it's been a blessing to learn and apply healthy boundaries and see the fruit of that over time. Finally, in confronting challenges, show them Jesus. Share the good news with them, with actions, and with words. Correction must always be accompanied by the gospel because no real change can happen if the power of God is not at work. We cannot show Jesus to a person we have canceled. So, let's lean in, even if that is the harder, messier choice. In conclusion, God has created each of us to grow in relationship with Him and with others. He has sovereignly chosen our families, graciously leads us to refining friendships, and plants us near neighbors who need Jesus just as much as we do. The more intentional we are about leaning into life-giving relationships, the more friction we will likely encounter. We are called to battle four deeper relationships with the goal of pointing one another toward the Savior who died for us all. When we press through the differences, the awkward conversations, and the refining process, we will cultivate the ground for more fruitful relationships. And it is then that we will find the precious and pleasant riches that are promised and bring greater life into our homes and families. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your, your word. Thank you for pointing us to truth and for showing us the way through every good relationship and every challenge in relationship. We ask God that you would work in all of our relationships and help us to dig deeper, to aim to know one another better and better, and to point one another to the truth of the gospel. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.
0: All right. So first, Shelby, thank you. Thank you for sharing, and um, I wanted to make sure that everyone knows that we'll put that resource that you gave us. What was it again?
1: It's called My Brother's Keeper, a biblical study on loving your siblings. It was put out by Not Consumed Ministries.
0: Okay, and so we're going to put that in our show notes, because some people may want to grab that as a great resource to use in their homes, and I just want to make a comment that I love Marco Polo. I know you mentioned it, (laughs) but I talked to my sister and my niece and a few other people who do not live in my state. What a great thing. There were so many things out of what you said that I thought were really helpful and I'm always thinking how can I apply this? Like what is it that you want me to learn, Lord? Because <laughs> there's always something. But a couple things. There was this theme about purposefulness and intentionalness. I don't even know that intentionalness is a word, but that's okay. Um these were two things that I think you shared a lot. Like we can't just have have haphazard and random decisions in our relationships. We have to be purposeful. And I think you had this other theme that in that we need to be, to be focused and, and intentional, we need to pray. Mm-hmm. That was kind of yeah. like this theme you had, <laughs> which I think is really good because I think it's easy to go into relationships, especially since this particular episode is releasing right before Christmas. A lot of people are going to be seeing people yes. they haven't seen for probably a whole year in some cases. So it's good to say, pray before this holiday comes and pray before any time that you need to be with people you know you have to be purposeful with. Um, The other thing I loved that you brought up, I like your scenarios you gave us, all the different ways you talked about relationships. I, I love this piece that you talked about that you lived because you did not live in the same place very long, And um, I think that's a really important thing. How many many times have you moved? Seven times since we got married. Seven times since you got married. So that's a lot of friends or people to get to know. And I like this piece that you, well, you had prayer a part of that too. (laughs) So that's really good. And then the last thing that I wanted, that I personally thought was great. Oh, two more things, sorry. One was this idea about not vilifying someone.
1: Yes, so crucial. It
0: is because it's so easy when you you don't agree on something to vilify them and make them the bad guy. But if they're a believer, and actually what you said, which is true is all people are made in God's image. So whether they're a believer or not, we can find good things in what they're in their lives. And that can actually lead us to further deeper relationships or sharing the gospel. Yes, That's good. Um, Last thing that you mentioned was to be purposeful with somebody. And I think that'd be a great thing for anyone listening to do is to pick somebody this year. Like we could all pick one person that we want to pursue in a relationship. And how cool that would be that every week you set a reminder on your phone, here's a way to use a phone for something good, (laughs) and you remind yourself, hey, reach out to, and you get to put the name in there, whoever you want, and pray for them, and then maybe make connections, maybe get the Marco Polo app and start talking to them, or maybe it's a, a phone call or visiting for coffee or just pursuing them if you see them at church on Sunday or the other events. I love that. Rather than thinking that we need to be in junior high again and we're more popular if we have 25 friends. Right. It
1: doesn't work like that. No, it no. can feel really empty with a lot of friends that just don't go very deep. Yeah, that's right, I love it.
0: And it's time for this episode's Tiny Tidbit. A tiny tidbit is just a small, tiny piece of information that can help you in a really big way. Today's tiny tidbit is brought to you from Sarah Desone. Sarah, what do you got for us?
2: Okay, well, I want to share a little bit about a great way to create memories and tradition at Christmas time. So, I think baking is a really great way to do that. And mm. I grew up baking with my mom, and my kids are growing up baking with me. Um, we just bake a ton at Christmas, but our favorite, our all-time favorite Christmas recipe that also doubles as a gift is my mom's cinnamon rolls. Yum. We make them every year. We usually make them a couple times every year. And when I say we make them, I don't mean we make like a plate of a dozen or two cinnamon rolls. I mean, we make like 20 plates of cinnamon rolls. Wow. (laughs) We get up early, we mix up like three giant batches of dough and we let them rise. And then we punch them down and then we let them rise some more. And then we roll them out with tons of butter and brown sugar and cinnamon. And we roll them up, cut them apart and then we let them rise some more. And then we bake them and plate them and frost them. And it's a very much all day affair. Wow. Um, And then those become like the gifts that we use for our small group friends and for our neighbors and family and other friends. And they're very well loved. Um, But people often will ask me for the recipe and I, I can give you the recipe, but it's almost like I need you to come over to my house and I will teach you (laughs) how to make it. because there's so many little details. It's just hard to convey on a little note card. But um, we have them every Christmas morning for breakfast. And that's another part of the tradition because they're they're our traditional Christmas breakfast. So I just think it's a great idea to embrace a family recipe like that. It doesn't have to be cinnamon rolls. It can be anything. Um, Yeah. Make it into a tradition and pass it on to your kids and then make it for other people. It's a lot of fun and it's just a special thing to do. It doesn't have to like I said, it doesn't have to be cinnamon rolls. It could be some kind of bread, it could be cake, it could be buckeyes, it could be anything.
0: Yes. That's a great idea. And I love that you incorporated your your daughters are now participating or your oh, kids yeah, are. They are. And I just wanna make this comment that I have been a recipient of these <laughs> at one point in my life. And they were so good. I, like, licked the plate
2: Yeah, we clean. always, they're, they're
0: the best. And I would like to make another comment. I would like to be a recipient <laughs> okay. again. I will keep okay. that in mind, Thank Julia. you, Sarah. Yes. <laughs> yes, Or maybe I should just learn how to make them.
2: I, I mean, it's, it's a lot, so it's up to you. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I'll just... I'll give you some. Okay, all right.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. I, I love that. And we are not going to give away any to anyone else. But if you want to do this wonderful tradition, find a good recipe that you love to bake in your home and use your kitchen at Christmas for God's glory. That's great. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening and join us next week as we talk about the topic of caregiving. I'm gonna have three guests on. I love it when the studio is full. It's like a party in here. Um, Each of these women, though, has um, gone through both sides of the carrying coin, so to speak. I mean, they've been either caregivers in some capacity, whether to a family member or caregiving in the church, or they've all been cared for by people during challenges or trials or even something as simple as having a baby, which isn't simple at all. But it is um, good that we talk about it and we're going to take a look at all the parts and aspects of caregiving next week, so join us for that episode. Don't forget to like or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. You can find us at Women of the Word CTW. There is a lot of content on that platform. You are definitely going to want to follow or like that today. You can find us, Unshaken, on any of your favorite podcast directories, so go and subscribe today. Anywhere you listen Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Podbean, CastBox. I mean, I could go on and on. Anywhere you listen, we are there, and we drop a brand new episode each and every Thursday. Finally, Merry Christmas to you from the Unshaken team. We love putting on these episodes, and I just want you to enjoy your holiday season with all your family and friends and know that as we put out each and every one of these episodes, we are praying for you, our listeners. Remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress— because of God until next time.